Well, good morning, good morning, New Life East. How's everybody feeling this morning? Good to see you. Great to be here. Oh, man. You know, I was thinking as I was um, worshiping with all of you this morning, I was thinking New Life East has to be the most resilient church in the world, you know? You guys are incredible. Now, you can give yourself a hand, but let me say a bit more about you first. I mean, think about this. This congregation last uh, launched about a month and a half before COVID, right? And then you go through this whole pandemic thing, and look, here you are! Now, give yourself a hand. You can give yourself a hand now. Great job. We're just so thrilled. I, um, I have so much love and respect for your team here, for Pastor Andrew uh, and Mandy. I, I've known Andrew for a number of years, and when he was up in Denver, I mean, I just thought this guy is so brilliant and so smart and so cool, and now that he works here, I realize those things are just, you know, you can bring it down a notch a little bit, you know. Uh, and Colin, I've known Colin and Jenna for a few years, and just remarkable, remarkable people, uh, godly, full of integrity, pure-hearted. And I love what God is building here at New Life East. I've been on staff at New Life Church for almost 21 years. It'll be 21 years uh, this August. And that's the, the grace of God, the faithfulness of God. And one of the great joys about this congregational model is not just the collaboration that we have, but to watch God do multiplication and to see all of you multiplying in relationships, in reaching out, in adding new people in, in welcoming new people in. So I'm just so grateful to be a witness uh, to all of that today. Before we open up the scriptures this morning, would you join me in a word of prayer and let's Invite the Lord to speak to us today. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who speaks, the God who calls to us, the God who calls us by name. Lord, would you call us today? Would you summon us to yourself today? And may we come with soft hearts. May we come with hearts and minds that are open to you, able to receive from you. Speak to us today. We pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen. I'm here this morning joined with my whole family, my wife Holly over here, our four kids, Sophia, Nora, Jonas, and Jane. And Holly and I, this August, will celebrate 20 years of being married, which is, which is a wonderful miracle in and of itself that she you know, has put up with me for that long. But my wife is from a small farming community in Iowa which is to say she's from Iowa. And, um, and, and, and when you, you know, this is the kind of postcard, quintessential American town that, that is sort of disappearing a little bit. And it's the place where everyone knows everyone and has known everyone for generations. Like Holly went to school and was taught by teachers who taught her parents. And like the church where her parents got married in was the church that their parents got married in. And everybody knows everybody, although there are like four churches, like two different Lutheran churches because it's primarily a German Lutheran town. But every, the, the bonds run deep. And you can imagine in a community like that, anytime an outsider is trying to enter into it, it's going to be a bit of a challenge, let alone a kid from Malaysia that Holly met at college. So one of my first visits out to the farm in Iowa, I'm, I'm meeting her you know, grandparents and all of that, and I'm trying to strike up this conversation with her grandpa. And uh, his name's Gordon, and Gordon is a man of few words, and he kind of you know, comes over to me, and he's holding his Milwaukee beer, which I'm told is the worst beer ever, and I cannot verify. Uh, but, but he comes over to me, and he's trying to, you know, trying to make a bond here, and he says, well, lad, 
do you play pool? And I was like, eh, not really. You know, I didn't want to embarrass myself. And then he says, well, do you bowl? And I was like, well, I did take a bowling class at ORU last semester. And then he says, do, do you play cards? And I was like, mm, uno? Which if you're a Midwesterner, you know, that, that doesn't count. It's got to be like 500 or pinochle or, you know, something like that. And I was like, eh, not really. So then he tries this different approach. He's like, okay, well, well, do you hunt? And I thought, this is getting worse. <laughs> I said, no. He said, do you fish? I was like, no. And finally, he just looks at me and he goes, well, lad, what do you do? <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm, I'm a musician. Uh, I play music. I, I read books. We could talk about C.S. Lewis. But you see, it is C.S. Lewis who said that friendship begins when you are doing an activity or, or a, a pursuing an interest and you look up and you look over to the person on your left or your right and you say, you too? I thought I was the only one. Lewis understood that friendship is, is born the moment you discover that you're not alone, that someone else also enjoys this particular activity. So Gordon was trying to find a common activity for us. Now, eventually we found our stride, and it was really through talking about football and how uh, terrible the Vikings are and, and uh, all of that. And, and I was honored to one day, you know, several years ago, to be able to, to be asked to speak at his funeral. So it was a relationship that was slow in building, but it eventually got there. Today we're going to talk about friendships. How do we cultivate friendships? Proverbs, this whole series, How Do I, is a series about wisdom. And wisdom literature in the scriptures is about becoming fully and truly human. When you think about the goal of wisdom literature, it's to invite us into the image-bearing humanity that God made us to be. Sometimes people will say, well, I, I'm, I'm so terrible or I messed up. I'm, I'm only human, we say. Actually, when we live like that, we have fallen short of being fully human. When we live at less than the image-bearing creatures that God made us to be, we're actually living subhuman lives. And to be fully human is to reflect the wisdom and love and character of God that is only possible by the grace of God in us. So the goal of a series like this is not only to give us practical wisdom, but to invite us into the fully human lives that God wants for you and for me. Amen? And today we're going to talk about friendships. How do we cultivate friendships? Maybe as we think about the idea, Lewis's idea, that friendship begins when you look over and you say, oh, you too, I thought I was the only one. Maybe when you think of it that way, you recognize that actually friendships were a lot easier when we were young because we had all kinds of time to pursue our leisure activities. Lots of places where you could say, oh, you like this sport too, or you like this game, or you like this dance thing or whatever, you like this song. But something happens as we get older, we get saddled with more responsibilities, there's more have-tos than get-tos in life. And all of the busyness of life begins to put us in places where we're no longer looking up and saying, you too, because we're not thrilled to be here either. It's just another parking lot drop-off of a kid or a carpool line or showing up to work. And you're like, I don't, I, I, you know. And then what complicates it, I think, is the, the amount of times we move now. In fact, I'm not sure on the stats on this, but I think that this might be the first moment in 
American history anywhere where more people live outside of the towns that they grew up in than that live in the same place where they grew up. And so many of you probably even in Colorado Springs, if I said, tell me if, this, if you grew up in Colorado Springs, there's probably not that many of you that could say, yeah, I did, you know, but I got here. I, most of us didn't, but we got here as soon as we could, right? In, t- in 2020, last October, Harvard did a study on loneliness. And during the pandemic, they had people respond to questions about how lonely they, they felt. And they discovered that 36% of American adults report serious loneliness. And serious loneliness means that they either said they frequently feel lonely or almost all of the time feel lonely or all the time feel lonely. 36% of American adults reported serious loneliness. When it comes to mothers of young children, that number is even higher. 51% of moms of young children say, I'm dealing with serious loneliness, meaning I frequently feel it, I feel it almost all the time, or I feel it all the time. You moms in the room of young children, you, you get that. Young people, maybe this is one we might not have expected, young people who are allegedly su- super connected. Young people between 18 and 25, 61% said they are experiencing serious loneliness. 61%. of young adults said during the pandemic, there's been a sharp increase in my feeling of loneliness. We can't talk about friendship like we all know how to do this or we've all all got great friends. The odds are that many of us, maybe all of us in some way, feel a particular longing. And that if we were pressed, you'd say, actually, I feel lonelier than I would like. And I'm trying, but I don't know how to cultivate meaningful relationships. This morning I want us to think about four ways to cultivate friendship. Four ways to cultivate friendship that this is wisdom gleaned from the Proverbs. Wisdom gleaned from this book that gives us insight into being fully human. How to cultivate friendship. Number one, are you ready? Invest diversely. Invest diversely. Now if you had Uh, If you work with a financial planner, and we met with ours recently, sometimes they'll say to you, hey, don't obsess about this particular fund not doing well because don't worry, this other one's going to do well. And you don't want everything all doing the same thing. If if they're all up, then at some point they're all going to be down, right? So there's a sense in which investing in relationships is like that. There are going to be times when one particular friendship or two or three particular friendships are really clicking, and you're like, that's awesome. And others are sort of meh right now. That's okay. Don't give up on it. Don't sell that stock right right now. Just hang on. Just keep investing. You never know what's going to happen. So there's one, that's one sense of this meaning, invest diversely. But the other sense that I want to focus on a little bit more is the different kinds of friendships, the different kinds of relationship. Sometimes I think what uh, hamstrings us in the process of forming relationships is that we obsess over finding that one best friend, that one perfect mentor, that one perfect bestie, and you're like, okay, this person is in it, so it's got to be this person. Well, they were, we were close for a couple years, but now it's, you know. And what I'd like to suggest to you is instead of looking for one north star, look for a constellation of voices. 
Instead of looking for one north star, look for a constellation of influences, of voices that you can say, okay, this is a meaningful relationship. It's not my my end-all, be-all of all my relationships, but this is a good one, and this is a good one, and this is a good one. So the best illustration, I was thinking about it this week, how can I illustrate just one idea of different types of relationships to invest in? And I thought, you know what, here's the perfect picture of it. It's Lord of the Rings. I hope I have some fellow nerds in the room. I hope you dads in the room. I'm wearing my dad shirt too, I guess, Colin. You know, so nerds or dads, whatever. Hopefully you're with me on the Lord of the Rings. The Fellowship of the Rings. So character one, the first kind of relationship you want to invest in is Gandalf. Everybody, you got to have some Gandalfs in your life. And I'm going to go ahead and pluralize this. The sage People that you can go to that show up at pivotal moments in the journey. Notice Gandalf isn't with him all the time, but at just the right time he shows up. And sometimes you need those voices in your life that they're not always there. You're not hanging out every Saturday, but maybe at just the right pivotal moments, this is a friendship that you want to keep investing in. About 10 years ago or so, uh, my friend Dan invited me out to lunch. Now, I didn't really know Dan that well. At the time, he was in his late 50s, maybe early 60s, uh, yeah, late 50s. But I knew his kids. His kids had gone to the mill, the college ministry at New Life, and uh, all of his kids went to the Air Force Academy, and I knew them through that. And Dan and I sort of knew of each other, but he said, Glenn, I want to take you out to lunch. And we met at Panera Bread at the shops at Briargate. And he said, okay, here's what we're going to do. I care about you. I want to make sure you last in ministry and in life. And he said, so I'm going to buy you lunch, and you're going to talk. And I was like, okay, that's a little direct, but all right. But it was was amazing. And we would talk about fatherhood, and we would talk about healthy rhythms, and we would talk about pace. And then eventually he said, Glenn, you're a little bit overweight. He actually wasn't that kind. (laughs) And he said, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to meet together, and we're going to run together. And I was like, Dan, I don't run. He goes, I know. It shows. <laughs> he goes, but we're going to run. He goes, I want you to have a long and healthy life. Give, give yourself the best shot at this. So he goes, three times a week, we're going to meet at the, the Northgate uh, trailhead of the Santa Fe Trail, and we're going to get out, and we're going to run. And I don't care if you jog. I don't care if you have to quit and walk. But we're going to get out there, and we're going to do it three times a week. And, and for about a year or maybe more, uh, we did that. And there were some mornings, I'm just going to tell you, be honest, there were some mornings where it was cold and snowy, and I was like, Dan, I don't know. I don't, I'm from Malaysia. I don't run in this weather. And he was like, you've lived in America for more than two decades. Get your butt out there. We're running today. It's like, beanie, you know, winter coat, whatever. And we would do it. And every time at the end of the run slash jog slash walk, um, we'd stop and we'd pray for each other. And he'd say, tell me what to pray about in your life. And I'd pray for him. And over the course of that, it became this mutual thing and he walked through a, a, a very pivotal decision in his own life about what post-retirement was going to be like. But that began because of his intentionality. And I want to say some of you in the room that are in your 50s and 60s and you're wondering, do I have anything to offer? Do I have anything to give? Uh, what, what's my purpose? I want to challenge you. Find some young buck in their 20s and say, hey, I'd like to take you to coffee this week. So often what happens is we get insecure as you get older. And you start to think, well, these guys don't need anything. They, they know everything. They, they're... Listen, all of us in our 20s thought we knew everything. But it takes someone else to say, not to confront it head on and say, you don't know anything, but just to say, let's go to coffee. 
tell me about your life. Tell me what you're thinking about. And when those right moments come, you challenge it. So can it work the other way where some, a younger person invites an older person? Of course it can. But I also want to encourage you with the Dan story that it can work great the other way. So that's the Gandalf. The other kind of relationship you need is Aragorn. Now, some of you single ladies are like, no doubt, I need Aragorn in my life. Thank you, Pastor. I'm not talking about that. Aragorn is the king. And what I mean is this is the kind of friendship that a friend who has authority in your life. For me, that's Pastor Brady. Pastor Brady is a friend and whom I love and trust, but he's got authority in my life. So I will ask him about things that don't directly relate to work. For example, uh, whatever it was, seven or eight years ago, nine years ago, whenever it was when I was thinking about starting my doctoral program, I sought his advice. I said, Pastor Brady, what do you think? Should I do this? Is this something I should pursue? And he said, yes. But he said, but you should also say no to every other outside speaking invitation for a couple years. Now, that was a suggestion that I would not have come up with on my own. I would have been like, no, I can do all of this, thank you very much. I've got endless capacity. And he's like, man, I think if you're going to say yes to this, you need to say no to this. We need people in our lives who can say no to your ideas. One of the weaknesses in our friendship array, our friendship portfolio, if you will, is every, you've got friends who just say yes to all of you. You're, you go, girl. Whatever you want is in your heart to do, you do it. Everyone, you need to check yourself if that's true. But you got to have a friend in your life that's like, uh-uh, we're not doing that. You're not going to do that. That's the, do not send that text. <laughs> the third Lord of the Rings relationship is the dwarves. The dwarves are like peers. I think of the dwarves as peers. Oh, you know what? I've been skipping these scriptures. <gasps> I'm so sorry. Gandalf, Proverbs 13, verse 20. We've got to go back and read it. Walk with the wise and become wise. I'm, I'm so caught up in the Lord of the Rings, I forgot Proverbs. This is terrible. Forgive me. They're going to revoke my pastoral license. Okay. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. That's Gandalf. Aragorn, Proverbs 27, verse 5. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Okay, the dwarves, the peers. These are the people that are, they're not in the same exact battle that you're in, but they're in the same war. So that may be, you're not necessarily doing life with these people, but they're in the same stage of life as you. Does that make sense? So, so if you're a young parent or you're about to become parents, you're like, I'm going to go find some other young parents. We're, we're, we're not doing life together, but we're in the same stage of life together. That's the dwarves. They weren't in all the same battles, but, but they're there. They're in the same war. If you're a business owner trying to make it through the pandemic, you're like, I need to go find some other business owners to talk about stuff with. Or if you're, you know, that's why there's sometimes there's men's groups or recovery groups. There's people who are in the same war that we're in, even if they're not in the same exact fight. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. I'm in a once-a-month Zoom group before Zoom became all the rage with three other pastors from around the country, one in Fort Collins, one in New York, one in Alabama. And every month we get on Zoom for 90 minutes and we just talk about the challenges that we're facing in ministry. Now, we don't call every day. We don't text every day. We're not doing life together. But every once in a while we stop and we compare notes. You need people like that in your life. 
okay? You also need an Elrond. Elrond is the healer. If you know the Lord of the Rings story, you know there's a moment where Frodo gets stabbed and he needs someone to heal him. Listen, life is going to deal you some blows and you need in those moments someone who can speak a word of healing to you. And it may be a friend or it may be a counselor or a spiritual director, a person that you say, I, I need to seek. So listen, there is no shame in seeking that out. In fact, the best time to see a counselor is when you're not in crisis. It's the best time to go see it. You don't wait till your car breaks down and then you're like, I better go to the oil change shop. You're like, no, I'm just going to go in regularly for tune-ups. That, that's the way to think about this stuff. I, and I, I think it used to be that you're like, oh, no, I'm in a personal crisis. I just erupted in anger and my, my spouse is worried. I better go see a counselor. Listen, the time to see a counselor, you can do that, but it's better to do it beforehand. We're picking up wounds all, the, all along the way, and a good counselor or a good spiritual friend helps us recognize that and say, there's a poison in your heart. You don't even see it. There's something going on you, you, you don't even know. Proverbs 12, 25 says, Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. Proverbs 27, 9, Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. When Holly and I first got married, she was in grad school earning her master's in counseling, and I often joke that that's been the key to our marriage lasting is the fact that she's trained as a counselor. And it's benefited me and benefited our children learning how to talk about our emotions and express ourselves. But I've also, over the years, seen a spiritual director. For many years, I would see a spiritual director once a month, and then it became once a quarter, and then a couple times a year. Someone who will help me pay attention to my own soul. The last kind of friendship to invest in, I know this is just point one, the others won't take as long, I promise, is Samwise Ganji. Samwise is the faithful sort of brother or sister. This is the person who, they're not only in the same, they're not, they're not just sort of in the same war with you, they're walking shoulder to shoulder with you. This is the friend that is always going to be there, that sticks closer than a brother. You know the scene if you know the Lord of the Rings. I can't carry the ring, Mr. Frodo, but I can carry you. Oh, and every man started leaking awesomeness from their eyes. <laughs> Proverbs 18, 24, one who has unreliable friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Maybe that little fun little list is a way to do an audit of your relationships and to say, am I investing diversely? Do I have these kind of, where am I short? Maybe I need to just sort of put some feelers out there and start to develop these kinds of friendships. The second bit of wisdom about cultivating friendships is to plan intentionally. To plan intentionally. I, I talked to you about how as kids, you know, it's just easy. It ha happens automatically. We moved to the States when I was 10 years old. And I remember uh, me and my buddies just getting on our bikes and riding up and down the block. We'd ride 10 blocks down to this a little penny store, buy Tootsie Rolls for a penny apiece, come back to somebody's home and play, uh, you, you know, some game of something where we would bet our Tootsie Rolls with each other. It's just easy. But as you get older, you have to be intentional. Good friendships don't happen accidentally. In fact, a recent study at the University of Kansas, I don't know how they did it, but they studied how many hours it takes to be a friend. And they said it takes 50 hours spent in leisure 
or at home or at play. So this is not like working stuff. This is like leisure or home or play. It takes 50 hours to move from an acquaintance to a casual friendship. 50 hours just to move from acquaintance to casual friendship. But to get to close friendship, you need over 200 hours. 200 leisure hours. Do do the math on that. Let's say you join a New Life East small group. What do we call them here, Colin? Table groups? Meal groups. I've heard that one before. Uh, Meal groups. Let's say you join a New Life East meal group and you meet twice a month for two hours. How long is it going to take you to get to 200 hours? It's going to take you four years. It's going to take a while, which means you can't bail on the process too quickly. And it also won't happen automatically. You've got to plan intentionally. I'll never forget six or seven years ago, Holly and I were at a conference in Queens, New York. It was Emotionally Healthy Leaders, what it was called. And it was the material that Pete and Jerry Scazzaro developed about emotionally healthy relationships and spirituality. And, and we were doing this exercise in a, in a room very much like this. We're sitting in our chairs. And, and the exercise was four boxes. And you, you were supposed to write in these boxes your habits or rhythms of life in four different areas. And it was like one box was your habits or rhythms of prayer. So I'm like, oh yeah, you know, you know pray a psalm, read a chapter, of the Bible. you know, got, I got some of that down. Next box was about rest. I'm like, okay, well over the years we've learned a little bit about how to have Sabbath and, and how not to be addicted to busy and all that, you know, so I'm writing stuff down. The next box was about work. What are your habits or rhythms of work? I'm like, oh, yeah, I got lots of those and how to work smarter, not hard, all of this stuff. And the last box was the box of relationships. What are your habits or rhythms of relationship? And other than like a date night with Holly, I was stumped. I was like, you mean I'm supposed to have regular rhythms of seeing my friends? And honestly, if I'm being totally honest, I, I felt a little... Guilt, I, I realized that I'd felt a little guilty for being intentional about friendships. I was like, well, I'm an adult. I don't make time to hang out with friends. Like, what am I, 16? Like, no. I, I'm supposed to, like, I got to do stuff that's important and take care of everyone else. But I realized that that was faulty thinking. That's a false sort of Messiah complex, that to be human is to intentionally make time for friendships, mutual relationships. And so I started texting my friends from that little sanctuary in Queens. And I was like, hey, what do you guys think about like once a month we get together and we share with each other what we're reading about? And they're like, I'm in. Instantly people are like, I'm in, I'm in. I've been dying for something like that. And then it was like, well, what if like once a quarter we got away for a day at like a retreat center and we just shared with one another and prayed together and all that. They're like, I'm in. No, no hesitation. And so now we have kind of a rhythm where, you know, it's, it's, it's small. It's like once a month we'll have friends over and once a quarter I get together with some of my close brothers and we pray over each other. Once a year, and we're going to do this in August, we'll have actually an overnight where there's time together. Listen, I know it seems like a luxury, but it is a necessity. Meaning, and I'll share why as we get to it here in the end, but cultivating relationships takes intentionality. The third thing Cultivating friendships, the wisdom that we glean from the Proverbs is speak graciously. Speak graciously. You could cultivate, you could plan time and you're together, but you're like, I don't know, things just aren't working, but you're the person 
that's always souring things. Proverbs 22, verse 11 says, One who loves a pure heart and who speaks with grace will have a king. We'll have the king for a friend. Love being pure-hearted. Speak with grace. It may be that if all of our relationships don't last more than a few months, it may be that we're the common denominator and that our words are the words that are always torching it. Sometimes speaking with grace looks like saying, I'm sorry. You're going to hurt people in friendships. You're going to fail as a friend. And speaking with grace could be as simple as saying, I'm so sorry I did that. Speaking with grace could look like small but frequent conversations that check in, that say, hey, did I say something there that was off? Did I? Yeah, actually you did. Or to say, you know, when you said that, that kind of poked at something in me, and I think that's a sensitive area because of my... And you're able to share something about your story or your childhood or your values or your convictions. And it's those very conversations that build intimacy. People who say, well, I just don't like drama, you're actually saying you actually don't want intimacy. People are like, well, I just, I don't want to ever bring anything up. Then you're saying, I I actually don't want depth. I just want superficial stuff. But if you can do those conversations with grace, to say, hey, can I just share that when you said that, you learn how to speak in the eye. You You learn how to own your own reactivity. That's what speaking with grace looks like. Proverbs 16, 28, a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. One of the ways that is not speaking with grace is to notice how people talk about your other friends when they're not there. That's the fastest way to kill a friendship. There's like three or four of you in a friend group and two of you are together, but every time these two of you are together, this person's talking about that other person who's not there and you're like, wonder what they're saying about me when I'm not there. It's one of the quickest ways to undermine the trust and open-heartedness that builds a friendship. The fourth and final piece of cultivating friendship, the wisdom that we're gleaning from the Proverbs, is to love consistently. Love consistently. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. It's easy to be a friend around people when they're up. It's tough to be around people to be friends with people when they're going through stuff. And I know we're, uh, being in the vocation that we're in, we'll sometimes hear from people who are walking through a medical diagnosis or a cancer thing or whatever, and people will say, yeah, friends have this initial surge of support, but over time they start like not wanting to hear all the updates all the time. And it gets difficult. And you get weary of being the person that's always sharing the difficult stuff. But a friend friend loves consistently, is able to stay, is able to kind of ride it out. I remember I've been at New Life long enough to have been through some stuff together as a church. And I know the season when things were going great and everybody wanted to be our friend. Everybody wanted to be here. And I know the season where nobody wanted to be here. Where all of a sudden people were like, see ya. And you recognize, oh, were we friends Or were you basking in the glow of our sort of whatever? And that happens on a personal level. But the friends that stay with you, all of my friends from that era that have lasted, even even if they don't live here, one of my closest friends, Aaron Stern, lives up in Fort Collins. We call each other regularly, and there's a bond that was forged because of the foxhole that we were in together. 
people that have served in the military, you understand this. The foxhole kind of friend. Those are friendships that don't, you don't replace those easily. Pastor Daniel Grothy says on the flip side, he says, I'm suspicious of people whose best friends are their newest friends. Uh, me too. Like someone who's like, they've, they've got no long-term friends. All their closest friends are their latest friends. And you're like, something, is, is this something funny going on? The Grant study is a study that was the longest study on happiness. Actually, it's the longest of all longitudinal studies ever done. It began in 1938, and it tracked the lives of about 260, uh, some 268 Harvard students, 1938, and they tracked them for decades, uh, more than 70 years. In fact, it was almost 80 years. In 2017, they finally concluded the study and issued their report. And they were trying to discover what is it, what is it that makes people happy? What is it that leads to lifelong happiness? And this is obviously from a secular perspective. And they said their conclusion was more than money or fame, close relationships are what keep people happy throughout their lives. Close relationships. Those ties, they said, protect people from life's discontents, help to delay mental and physical decline, and are better predictors of a long and happy life than social class, IQ, or even genetics. Long-lasting friendships. Every friendship is going to be tested. And our generation, our age, is an age of where we're quickly out because we have a surplus of choice, a surplus of options. This is the same, by the way, that's also true when people talk about the dating world, the surplus of options and apps. And so you think, I don't know. I mean, this is pretty good, but what if there's something better? There's always the voice in our head that says, what if I found something better? And I, that, the marriage stuff is a whole separate talk, but when we talk about friendships, one of the reasons we, we bail is we think, I, I don't know, I might, you know, what if I saw someone else on Facebook and I saw their pictures and... But loving consistently means pushing through the discontents and the difficulties. And the reward is the fruit of joy, of meaning, strength. In fact, Ecclesiastes, the other book of wisdom literature, whenever he talks about the meaninglessness of life, this is an observation from the late Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. He says in Ecclesiastes, whenever they talk about the meaninglessness of life, he's talking about solo stuff. But whenever he talks about joy, it's in the meaningful stuff that we're doing together with others, friendships. Now you hear this and you're like, plan in, uh, or invest diversely, plan intentionally, speak graciously, love consistently. You're like, Glenn, this is supposed to be good news. This is bad news. Because I don't know anyone who's really doing that. And if I'm honest, I'm not sure I'm really doing that. It's true. We've all failed. And the word of the Lord to us this morning is not do better, try harder. The word of the Lord to us this morning is behold Jesus, the friend who never fails. Behold Jesus, the friend who never fails. So think about what Jesus reveals to us about the heart of God. Jesus invested diversely, you might say. <laughs> he had a group of unlikely friends, didn't he? I mean, if you think the Son of God's coming to earth, who's he hanging out with? You're like, whoa, 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 fishermen? Are you sure about that one? 
This is not off to a great start, Jesus. Tax collectors, oh boy. Sinners, people with questionable activities, all people who are wanting to turn, wanting to change the trajectory, but Jesus befriends them. Jesus, friend of sinners, unlikely investment in friends, isn't it? And I'm so grateful that he chose us. Not only does Jesus sort of invest diversely, but Jesus planned intentionally. The scriptures say before the foundation of the world, the Lamb of God was slain. How's that for intentionality? Paul says in Ephesians 1, before creation, God chose you to be adopted as his sons and daughters. On this Father's Day, think about that for intentionality. Before creation, God said, I'm going to choose Colin, and I'm going to choose Sophia. I'm going to choose Joe. These are the people I'm choosing to be my sons and daughters before the foundation of the world. That's, how's that for planning intentionally? And Jesus is the friend who speaks graciously to us. When people were at their worst and Jesus found them, he spoke graciously to them. Think of the woman caught in the act of adultery and Jesus says, where are your accusers? And he says, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Jesus, who after the resurrection finds his disciples, some of whom had run away like cowards, others of whom had denied him. And Jesus finds them and he says, your sins are forgiven. Receive the Holy Spirit. My peace I give to you. Jesus, who speaks graciously to us. And then Jesus, who loves consistently, the friend who never fails, Jesus who loves at all times. John 15, verse 13, Jesus said, Greater love is no one than this, than, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants. Even our obedience to Jesus doesn't make us servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I learned from my Father I've made known to you. And you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And now here it is, verse 17. This is my commandment, love one another. Here's what I want you to catch, church. The only way it's possible to fulfill that last bit, love one another, is when we believe everything that came before it, that he loves us, that he chose us, that he has given us everything that the Father has given him. When you believe that, all of a sudden, it's out of the reservoir of his love for us that we love others. We don't come to friendship with this bankrupt little, well, my little bucket of love here, let me give you that. No, we open up our hearts and say, Jesus, pour out the fountain of your love in me, and out of that reservoir, let me love my brothers and my sisters. You see, it's our love for each other is only possible because of Christ's love for us. Our love for each other is only possible because of Christ's love for us. Some of you today are in that place of loneliness, the longing that Pastor Colin talked about at the, earlier in the service, the longing of saying, I'm longing for this. Listen, I know it's not going to be easy, and there's sometimes starts and stops in relationships that, that don't quite go the way you wanted. But this morning, I want to invite you to Come back to the fountainhead of friendship. Come back to the friend who never fails. Restart there. 
If you're in a place where you're needing to reset your relationships and you're like, ah, I've been in some toxic relationships and I've been a mess and they've been a mess and I've been betrayed and I've been hurt, I hear you. Today, come to Jesus to reset your friendships. Start here. Start here with the friend who never fails. And others of you are here and you're like, well, it's going okay, but sometimes it's just hard and, 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 and I get weary. I, I get it. Refresh under the fountain of the Father's love today. Refresh there today. Come close to Jesus. Abide in Jesus and let his friendship with you flow out into your friendship with others. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to pray this prayer of confession and we pray it as a way of resetting our hearts and recentering our hearts on Jesus. We pray it as a way of unclenching our fists and saying, God, I don't got this. I can't make these relationships happen. I can't make these relationships happen. As intentional as I am, I need you. I need you to help me become the kind of friend to others that you are to me. So let's pray this together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought and word and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. Now for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Now friends, with the eyes of your heart, Imagine Jesus saying to you what he said to his disciples on that Easter day. Your sins are forgiven. Peace be with you. Receive the Holy Spirit. Let's respond with gratitude and praise this morning.
Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Do that right now as you give the Lord thanks and praise for everything that he has done for you in your moment right here. Lift, lift it up to the Lord. The Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. You break it in your hands, these little wafers. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. As he gathered with his friends on the last supper around the table, he gave his body for his friends. God, we receive this with thankfulness. You are the friend of sinners. And that's us. We're aware of that in this room this morning. Thank you for the gift of yourself. Would you receive the bread together? In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup, the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's proclaim the mystery of our faith together. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Brothers and sisters, the blood of Christ would you receive together. God, thank you. Thank you for this gift that allows us to be in your presence. God, today we dwell in this place with thankfulness. Church, would you respond in doxology?
Well, New Life East, it's been a real joy to worship with you this morning. I want to send you out here with a blessing. Not only does our friendship begin with Jesus, but the church is meant to be this place of friendship and belonging with each other. And I want to pray that over you this morning. So open your hands if you will. Jesus, would you restore us into a relationship of abiding with you? And would you heal and redeem the broken relationships that we might have with one another? Let New Life East continue to be a place of healing, continue to be a place of belonging. Knit this people together as a family, spiritual friends in the community of Jesus. And Lord, we pray a special blessing on dads today. Thank you for these good and faithful men showing up to church with their families. Bless them, Lord. And send us now with the grace of God, the peace of God, the love of God overflowing in and through us. We pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. I want to invite the altar ministry team up front here to pray with you. If you need anything at all, come find some of us as well. God bless you. Enjoy Father's Day.